0: So today, we are continuing in our uh, study of the book of Daniel, okay? Uh, and uh, uh, we want to turn to Daniel chapter 6. So we have been uh, following Daniel in these uh, different um, exploits uh, in, these, uh, in these chapters. And we said last time that, uh, you know, in these first six chapters... They're not uh, just simply uh, Sunday school lessons uh, to learn, but they really depict the power of God over human authorities, Uh, the uh, power of uh, the king over these emperors uh, and kings of uh, uh, the the world. Uh, And what we will see in, well, in chapter 7, and in 8, and in 9, and 11, in, in what we might say a, a cosmic victory of God, uh, we see in the particular life of Daniel and also uh, his friends uh, the victory uh, that they have uh, themselves uh, in uh, living uh, under the Babylonians and the, and the Medes uh, and the Persians, right? Right? Well, last time we were uh, looking in chapter 6 in the first half, and uh, we saw the dilemma of Daniel and how he reacts to the problem, and we learned a lot of great lessons. But now we want to look at the uh, second part of uh, uh, Daniel uh, chapter 6, okay, where uh, Daniel is going to face the consequences. Uh, of his refusal uh, to ignore uh, to ignore his God, right? Uh, and uh, and so we uh, we're going to begin here uh, in uh, verse 16 of Daniel chapter six. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den, right? The king spoke to Daniel. Your God, whom you constantly serve, uh, will deliver you. Uh, And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing might be changed uh, in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep... Uh, fled from him. So the king is very interesting here, isn't he, right? Uh, He says, your God whom you constantly serve uh, will himself deliver you. So the way that is written actually is it could be, may he deliver you, you know? It's not like a declarative statement uh, that the king uh, is saying that the God of Israel will indeed deliver you, but it's, it is per, it's a little ambiguous. You know, he's either saying that or he's saying, may may he deliver you. Now, that's interesting. We might ask ourselves, uh, you know, why, why does he do this? First of all, we know that uh, from the law of the Medes and the Persians, just like in the book of Esther, right, he could not uh, back out of what he had already decreed to do. So he was bound by this decree even though he wanted to do something else, he was bound by this decree. Also, he liked Daniel. Daniel, as it says in the beginning of the chapter, and as we read all the way through the the book of Daniel, that Daniel uh, did uh, extremely well uh, in his job, right? Uh, We read at the beginning of the chapter, In verse 3, Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So he liked Daniel. Daniel was uh, very good at what he did. You know? So it's very interesting that all the way through here Daniel maintains a very strong testimony of faithfulness to God. And so the king who... I uh, was certainly not a, uh, a believer in the God of, of Israel, but he liked what Daniel was all about. you know? Daniel was a producer. you know Daniel got things done. Daniel uh, was very valuable to the king. And so the king understood that Daniel had a very interesting God. you know His God is invisible. And his god seems also to be very powerful and that no matter what daniel does not compromise and so uh, the king recognizes that uh, there's something unique about daniel which must translate into something unique about daniel's god so you'll notice here that he doesn't say what he doesn't say to daniel he doesn't say Get out of this thing, Daniel. I know you can do it. You know, uh, you know, like Houdini. You know, undo the chains. Figure it out, Daniel. Pull a fast one out of your hat. Presto, changeo. Right? Uh, that, uh, uh, Daniel. I know you can. Uh, you can get out of this. That's not what he says. He says your God, whom you constantly serve, will Himself deliver you. And so, what a testimony that is uh, for us, right? What a great lesson that is for us—that it's important that we do well at everything we do, and at the same time, be known as oh, the guy who's reading the Bible on his lunch hour, you know, or uh, the person who prays. Uh, that person who seems to be in our, you know, the parlance of this world that really religious person, you know? Uh, whatever it may be, that there is this connection. That is a testimony, see? And, uh, and so it's very important that uh, we do well at what we do for the very reason that we see right here. Your God, whom you constantly serve, will deliver you, or may he deliver you, right? All right. So now uh, the, the king... Uh, here, he can't go back. On, he, he doesn't want anything to happen to Daniel, but he is bound by his law. And then not only that, but we see what he does. He goes home, and he's on spilchus, sitting on Schpilchis. You know what I'm trying to say in verse 18? He's like on pins and needles. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. He was really worried that something was going to happen to Daniel. And there was nothing that he could do about it. It's very important. Okay? Then the king arose with the dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. He ran there. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? So you can see that the the king is is just, uh, he's beside himself, uh, and he really uh, uh, wants to know if this king whom Daniel serves, not whom he serves, but this this God of yours, this living God, uh, did he deliver you? Now, it's interesting that the king uses uh, the term the living God, right? Now, this is a term that is used in uh, other places, certainly in the Bible. But this, to my understanding, to my knowledge, is either the first or the only place where a pagan king refers to the God of Israel as the living God. It's very interesting. So what does living God mean? You know, what, why, why do we have this term here? Well, it's interesting that I, we can look at a number of uh, passages, and maybe we'll look at one or two here, But the phrase living God is used when, uh, in in situations where we're concerned that something might happen, something is going to happen unless God intervenes in human history. Oh, living God, you know, uh, 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 deliver me. For example, in uh, Deuteronomy, Devarim, in chapter 5, in verse uh, 26, for who is there of all flesh? Who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire, as we have and lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God says. Uh, then speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you, and we will hear and do it. And so, living God, the God who appeared, the God who showed himself, the God who made himself known. Then in Joshua chapter 3, the passage near our Haftorah uh, portion. We see it there as well. There's plenty. but And so I I hear in encouraging people uh, regarding crossing the river and taking the Canaanites and all of that. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, Girgashite, Amorite, and Jebusite. So The living God, the God who intervenes, the God who makes himself known, the God who delivers, the living God. In a fascinating way, that is the term that Darius uses when he approaches Daniel. Okay? Uh, Again, he says, The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions. Again, the king can do nothing but hope that Daniel's God does something. Okay? Then Daniel spoke to the king, "O king, live forever! My God sent His angel and shut the lions' mouths, and uh, they must have not harmed me. And as much as I was found innocent before Him, and also toward you, O king." I have committed no crime. So that, that's very interesting what uh, he's actually saying here. First, he says, right after, the, right after the king says, O servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? Because he sure couldn't. Then Daniel says to him, O king, live forever. That's kind of a, an, just a, uh, a, an interesting response here. Where uh, it is only uh, Daniel's true king, right, the Messiah, who is powerful enough to bring deliverance, but Daniel refers to Darius as as the king. O king, live forever, sort of in a in a very relative kind of way. O king, live forever. For Daniel's God is indeed the living God, who can deliver Darius, uh, whom he shows respect for. Okay, certainly cannot uh, uh, deliver. So certainly what we see is we say there's the king, who is the living God, who delivers, and then there's the, the king, uh, Darius. And Daniel uh, goes on to say, My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they've not harmed me. Okay, And he says, Inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. And so there was nothing that Darius or his underlings could point to in the life of Daniel to say that there was injustice with the God of Israel, that he should have killed you. Because look at you, look at you know, how you uh, have come against uh, the kingdom and have broken the, the, uh, the law of the land, okay? Uh, yet Daniel uh, says to the king, uh, no, my God has delivered me uh, and I am innocent before him and I am innocent uh, before you. So clearly we see the, uh, the power of God. Now he does say here, right? My God sent his angel and shut the lion's Shut the lion's mouth. Well, uh, you know we can speculate all day long uh, about uh, uh, this angel, but it is not uh, unique to this passage that God sends an angel. We even see it uh, uh, certainly uh, in uh, in the New Covenant in the fifth uh, uh, in the fifth chapter uh, of Acts where an angel of the Lord appears and, del, you know, and uh, delivers the, the apostles. And, and, uh, and so it is not unusual that God would send an emissary. We see that in Acts chapter 5. In fact, why don't we take a look there? In Acts 5, in the Brit HaRashah, in verse uh, 17, But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy, and they laid hands on the apostles, and put them in a public jail. But an angel of the Lord during the night opened the gates of the prison and and took them out and said, Go your way. Stand and speak to the people uh, in the temple the whole message uh, of this life. So it is not unusual uh, uh, in, in this uh, uh, kind of situation for God to, to do that. Well, it is unusual, but it, it is in the Scriptures uh, it is not unusual to see the person who delivers as God sending an angel. Okay? So uh, clearly that's what we see. We might ask ourselves oh, is this, uh, you know, an appearance of, uh, of Yeshua beforehand as the deliverer? Uh, well, you know, it could be. The text doesn't say that. Uh, uh, but what is, what is quite clear is that God does send an angel to, uh, to deliver. uh, Daniel. Okay, all right. Then the king was very uh, pleased and gave orders for Daniel to take up out of the to to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found in him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel uh, uh, trusted in the God of Israel. See, Uh, and so there is a question that. uh, we may uh, desire to uh, ask ourselves here. And that might be, how could Daniel be so courageous? How is it that Daniel was, was able to do that? I mean, you know, it's easy when you, uh, you know, read these passages, Daniel trusted in his God, you know? Yeah, well, that's great. But it's interesting that when uh, you and I are faced not so much with life and death, but with uh, uh, someone uh, just saying something negative about us, uh, sometimes we ourselves could, could cower in uh, embarrassment, or uh, we don't say something uh, at the uh, at the time, and we go away and think, "Why didn't I say something?" You know, uh, what is it that gave Daniel uh, such courage? Daniel had, and we we see this from the first chapter on, Daniel had a cultivated life of devotion to God. This is not something that Daniel mustered up right then and there. This is a life that Daniel lived. And don't we see that in what Darius says to him? The God whom you constantly serve. Daniel was known as this, this person. Daniel was known as uh, the one who serves this God. Not only that, by the way, and I know that uh, some of you have been here for all of these messages and you've you know, heard a little bit of this, that is that Daniel is never called a Chaldean. Daniel's an old man already here. Daniel is well-known. Daniel uh, has been serving already uh, You know uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he uh, has... Now, now he is serving Darius. There was even a, a, um, a king in between uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, and and so here is Daniel, uh, who is always the go-to guy to interpret interpret the dreams, the handwriting on the wall, uh, all of it. But he's never identified as a Chaldean. He's never identified as a Babylonian. He's never identified as a Persian. He is always that exile, that exile, Daniel, the Jew. And so Daniel uh, has, uh, uh, throughout all of his time, maintained his, uh, his identity. He knew who he was. And in all of these years, I mean, this was a long time, all of these years uh, being uh, taken away from, as far as we know, from his family, taken away from, you know, Jerusalem, uh, living in this foreign land, among foreigners, holding a high place, has not forgotten who he is and uh, whom his God is. And by having that kind of cultivated life and knowing the reality of God, that God is indeed the living God, Daniel was able to face these kinds of challenges. And so for us uh, as well, how important, uh, how important is this? Uh, you know, uh, we had um, a few weeks ago, Jen Rosner here. Maybe, I don't know if anybody knows her. Well, you know her if you were here, <laughs> right? She was here for our uh, Visiting Scholar uh, Symposium. Uh, and one of the, she talked about a lot of different things. But one thing that she talked about was a uh, book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. Uh, by Dallas Willard, and uh, that little book is just a fabulous, fabulous uh, little book that talks about uh, how to integrate our physical lives uh, with spiritual practices that when we engage in them, build us up so that when the crisis moment comes, so that when the decision time comes, we don't have to muster it up that uh, we have cultivated a life so that we can then, uh, as we are now in Messiah, uh, make the decision and do the right thing, you know? Uh, And those spiritual practices are very important. For for some of us, we see them as an end unto themselves. For example, what what are we talking about? Oh, like uh, praying regularly, you know? That's sort of a a universal discipline, right? Praying regularly, uh, reading the Bible regularly, right? We say, if I do those things, then I am walking with the Lord. As long as I do those things, then everything's okay, right? But in reality, all those things we do prepare us for the moment, for the crisis, For when the guy uh, in the other lane uh, cuts us off, you know, because God is always in the car, right? Uh, And uh, uh, regardless of, uh, you know, um, where we are or what we do, you can't just simply muster it up at the moment, you know? That's not how it works. It's a cultivated life, and that's the kind of life that Daniel had, right? So I'd encourage you, by the way, to read that book, but... Uh, uh, it's very important for us, you know, to recognize that, that it's not a case where uh, I know the Lord, I said a prayer at some time in my life, and, and eventually I'll get back to, uh, you know, uh, uh, going to services or reading the Bible. Uh, we really need to have that kind of cultivated life, and that is what we see here in the life of, uh, of Daniel. Uh, and so he trusted in his God, he trusted in God. So for us, we need to say, yes, uh, those spiritual disciplines. However, there's something else going on, right? Uh, and that is the coming of the Messiah. Uh, you know, when Yeshua uh, rose from the dead, when Yeshua died for our sins and he rose from the dead, that was, uh, in a, that was the, the beginning of, of the end, we might say, right? Right? And when we embrace Yeshua uh, into our lives, we participate in that resurrection life. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, not completely that we await for with the, uh, you know, the, the uh, bodily resurrection to come, but we participate in that today. In fact, we read in a lot of places uh, in the New Covenant uh, that uh, uh, He is the first fruits of that resurrection. At the beginning, when uh, we read of uh, Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2, uh, he talks about uh, Yeshua uh, and the result of, uh, of his uh, death. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, in uh, verse 22, he says this. And this really is, we might say, the fulfillment of what we read about uh, Joseph and what we read about Daniel, you know, Uh, of, uh, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, and all of that. But in Acts chapter 2, we read in verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words, Yeshua the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God you nailed to the tree and you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men who put himself to death and God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power and then you know Paul in uh, first Corinthians chapter 15 uh, you know says where is the sting of death right Because of the resurrection of Yeshua, which has already happened, we can live today with that knowledge of that historical truth. But beyond the knowledge of that historical truth, our participation in that resurrection allows us to have that kind of courage, whether we are delivered uh, from the lion's den in this life or not. There are many situations in our lives where it's, as if we are Daniel in the lion's den, right? Sometimes at work, uh, it may be in a courtroom, uh, maybe uh, who knows where? You know, uh, fear. Uh, you might say of of, uh, of persecutors or those who might come uh, against us. Uh, in fact, in the book of Hebrew, we'll take the time in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and also, in another place, uh, in the Book of Romans, in uh, the Brit Shah, the phrase uh, "delivered from the mouth of lions" is used metaphorically, taking this passage and and applying it metaphorically to to our own lives of uh, being persecuted, right? Uh, and uh, and so it's it's quite important. Uh, to recognize that whether we are uh, physically delivered in this life or not, we know we have deliverance in the Lord and our worldview changes, you know, beyond this life. And so we have that great assurance. And it's very interesting when you read about the cultivated lives of famous uh, people who have died for their faith. A question always to ask is, how did they ever get there? How How do you get to that place? You get to that place uh, by living this cultivated life that uh, we see so well in the life of Daniel. And then in the life of Yeshua, delivered not from death, but delivered in his death. That his death itself brought the deliverance. And he conquered sin and death when he rose from the dead. And so uh, uh, now... Uh, we have such wonderful role models in the Brit HaRashah to show us that as we identify ourselves in the life of Yeshua, a tremendous amount of faith and courage come along with that that allow us to not be fearful and to be able to testify of the truth and, and live a life of confidence uh, in, in the Lord. For example... Uh, when you look uh, in uh, the book of Colossians, that's a good place. Okay, in Colossians, in both the uh, the second uh, and the third uh, chapters. Okay, good. Okay, there we go. You'll notice you know, there's a lot of places to look, but let's look here. In, for example, uh, begin in verse nine of chapter two. I want to notice something. So we see here, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He is completely identified with Hashem. Completely identified with uh, who the God of Israel is. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Yeshua having been buried with him in immersion, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay? Now, you, now go over to chapter 3, and it says at the beginning of the chapter, if then you have been raised up with Messiah, keep seeking the things above where Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When Messiah, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, let's look at another place, and we'll say something about all of them together. In uh, Galatians, the book of Galatians, in chapter two, in the twentieth verse, okay, I have been crucified with Messiah, and it is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. What you see in all of these passages, which in a sense could be summed up back in Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. That Yeshua is not only the one who teaches great things. He's not only the one who is a role model for us to follow but he himself is the message he in himself is the message and when we identify with yeshua when we place our trust in him our faith and we repent of our sins and we uh, acknowledge him as the messiah you know and lord the scripture uses over and over again this phrase in him you're in him and christos in him right that there is this uh, uh, relationship, not just relationship, but there is a spiritual, organic kind of um, uh, um, yeah, relationship that we have uh, with God. That we dwell, he uses this terminology, we dwell in him. And so now that the Messiah has come, we identify so much in his resurrection that no matter what happens to us in our lives we have the assurance of being with the risen Messiah, in, in, regardless of what takes place. And, you know, in, uh, in um, uh, Philippians, in the first uh, chapter, Paul talks about being in prison, right? And, uh, and in his uh, uh, talking about being in prison, okay, uh, he says that... Uh, beginning in verse uh, uh, 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, in chapter 1, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the good news, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Messiah has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now, I've said this before. If I was him and I was writing to these people, I might say, Dear Philippian brethren, I am in prison. Can you send a lawyer? Or maybe a cake with a file in it. You know? Or something so I can get out of prison because obviously being in prison cannot be the will of God. This is hindering me from uh, uh, the good news. Right? But he says the opposite. He says, My imprisonment is encouraging the brethren. My imprisonment is testifying to the Praetorian guard. You know, uh, how else would they ever hear this message? Paul identifies himself so much with Yeshua and the sufferings of Yeshua. Think about it. Uh, in the passage in Acts chapter 2, what, what Peter is actually saying there is, is that what you meant for evil, you tried to kill him. But in trying to kill him, this actually brings life. In trying to kill him, we have uh, the atonement of our sins, and uh, we have new life in Messiah, in the resurrection. And so Paul identifies with that, that even in his sufferings, his sufferings do not mean that uh, uh, God's word or work would be hindered, but rather the opposite but that rather as a result of it, regardless of what happens to me in my physical life, that I'm going to be with the Lord anyway. I'm safe in Messiah, but my whole desire in my life is to glorify the Lord. See? Now, it's not that he actually doesn't care about his life, you know, as as if it's meaningless and worthless. No, you actually see even later on that uh, in 2 Corinthians, he says, I can't decide, you know, whether it's better or better, whether I should stay or I should go, right? Because he, he knows that certainly there's value in his life, but yet he is not afraid of the, li- of the mouth of the lions because he knows that his Redeemer lives, like Job said, right? Uh, and so for us as well, and we need to ask ourselves if we have that kind of cultivated life, that same kind of, of cultivated faith uh, as Daniel does. One of the things that Daniel did know already, though, you know, prophetically speaking, Daniel already knew because he had interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, right? And also the handwriting on the wall and all of that. Uh, Daniel knew that in the end, the kingdom of God wins out. That he knew already. And as we'll see in, you know, uh, the next chapter and so on. So Daniel had, even though... He had not seen it, nor experienced it uh, via something as spectacular as the resurrection of the Messiah. He knew the hope. He knew what the prophets said. He knew that there was indeed going to be some kind of future. And that also gave him courage. But for us, we are living from the vantage point of that the Messiah has indeed come and he has risen from the dead. And so that in our spiritual relationship with the Ruach Hakodesh indwelling us, who is proof positive uh, of the reality of God, right? Uh, of the past as well as the future, right? The presence of the Ruach Hakodesh, empowers us to have this living hope that uh, that, Peter, that we read about in First in, um, in Peter. So he had that hope, but, but we have the presence of the Ruach. A dwelling in our lives, and we ourselves we want to be that kind of a testimony that Daniel uh, that Daniel was. And as we come to the end of the passage, we see in verse twenty-four, the king gave orders and brought these men those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them, their children and their wives, into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land, May you, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay, a couple of last things uh, here. One thing we see uh, here is this decree of... Darius comes is written in the text of Daniel right at the end of chapter 6. And it is no coincidence that this is the end of the portion of the book of Daniel that describes the the personal victory of Daniel and his friends over the empires of the world at that time. And so it's almost like an epilogue of chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, what we read here. That this kingdom of God that is displayed in the life of Daniel and his friends will live forever. And so uh, we see this from the mouth of this, uh, this pagan king. And we see the testimony indeed that Daniel is. And so therefore, may we be encouraged in that same way now that uh, indeed the Messiah has come and his kingdom has begun and Uh, It's an invisible kingdom in which we dwell uh, and in which we live. Uh, And, you know, in uh, Romans uh, chapter uh, 8, toward the end, we read these words of great um, encouragement. Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore, just as it is written... For thy sake we are being put to death all day long, but we considered as she, we, we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. What a great word of encouragement uh, to us uh, today. And isn't it interesting, the, at the very end, the very last verse of chapter 6, where he, so this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel enjoys success... In the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel enjoys success. In the reign of his grandson, he enjoys success. In the reign of Darius, and he enjoys success. In the reign of Cyrus, they all go. But Daniel continues to enjoy success. It doesn't that just epitomize uh, the history of uh, of our people, right? That. Uh, m- Perhaps being taken in persecution, uh, living amongst foreign empires throughout the world. But empires come and empires go, but still the Jewish people remain, just like Daniel, right? And so we see uh, in this chapter the weakness of the, the, the king of a powerful world empire when compared to the king of Israel. And, you know, may we live with that truth. Uh, And may we be able to have that kind of confidence. Regardless of consequences and outcomes, we know that God, the God of Israel, will never leave us nor forsake us. And in Messiah, we will live in him forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, that we can have uh, this kind of... uh, This kind of assurance, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that in Yeshua, we see that even in death, there is victory. Lord, we pray, God, that we would uh, be a good testimony to the world around us. So that the world may know who indeed Yeshua is. That the world may know who the living God is. As we do well in whatever it is we do. Including uh, sharing the scriptures and the good news. But Lord, as we read, as a Peter admonishes us, Lord, we pray that we would keep our behavior excellent among the pagans, so that in the thing in which they slander us as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Lord, may we submit ourselves for your sake to every human institution, whether to a king or the one in authority, governors as uh, uh, sent uh, by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is your will that by doing right, Lord, may we silence the ignorance of foolish men. Lord God, may we in this world be the kind of testimony with the kind of assurance and the kind of courage as Daniel had. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would cultivate the kind of spiritual life in Messiah that allows us to live in such a victorious way in this world. God, we thank you in Messiah's name.